0: Thanks to the people who have started leaving me text messages with the new feature. But remember, it's a one-way medium, so please include your email address or any other way of getting back in touch with you. Or if you'd like to leave me voicemail, just go to the website at bookkeepermensch.com, scroll down a little bit on the main page, and leave me voicemail. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Paul Rosenbloom is a bookkeeper, not an accountant or a CPA. Although the information comes from accounting professionals, the information in this podcast is meant to give you enough good information to have a conversation and dialogue with your tax professional about subjects discussed on this podcast. once you start spending money on a business idea as we discussed in episode number one you now have to think about what kind of business entity you want your company to be depending on what your company will be either doing and or selling there are four basic kinds of entities one we'll talk about a sole proprietorship two We'll talk about LLCs, which are limited liability companies, either a single member LLC or a multi member LLC. Then we'll talk about corporations, either an S Corp or a C Corp, and finally, a nonprofit organization. There are lesser known types of entities, but here in this episode, we'll talk about the four basic kinds sole proprietorships. in most states the city county or state government would like you to legally register yourself as a sole proprietorship or a sole prop in other words doing business as also known as dba but some states actually don't require a registration in the state where i live and most of my clients do business the the county wants sole proprietorships to register by going to a county courthouse and having a notary public sign and stamp the documents in order to make a sole proprietorship legal. However, there's no name check. So for an example, if my last name was McDonald, I could be Paul McDonald, DBA, doing business on my business cards as McDonald's. Now, the McDonald's that we all know and love might and could send a cease and desist letter But I could fight it because I'm not a restaurant, I'm not in the food business, I'm not competing with them in any form, and I would probably win if they decided to sue me because I'm not using their logo or colors or anything to do with them. It just happens to be my last name. So the liability would fall to me personally since the sole proprietorships are not separate business entities, but they are the cheapest way to go, but again, virtually no protection if litigated against. Many bookkeepers, for an example, are sole proprietorships, especially if they are a one-person operation, because even if bookkeepers make a mistake and put an extra zero where it doesn't belong, the tax professional who is preparing the tax return should go over the books and should catch it. Sole proprietorships can have employees, but the owner cannot be an employee of his or her own business. All the money that the business earns should go into the business bank account and be accounted for in revenue or sales, taxable revenue, taxable sales, and then the owner should just be able to transfer money out of the business checking account and into. Their personal account. It doesn't affect taxes since the withdrawal is considered an equity draw account and not a financial account that shows up on the profit and loss of the company. It's not a tax deductible expense. It's an equity transaction within the inner bowels of your company. The profit and loss of the sole proprietorship is then converted into a Schedule C form and that Schedule C is part of your personal taxes that are due on April 15. Single member LLCs. A single member LLC is very much like a sole proprietorship, except it is considered a separate entity. That is, it has its own tax ID number assigned to it even though it still is a part of your personal income taxes. If you are a single member LLC, you are not allowed to use your social security number as a tax ID number for the LLC, like you can with a sole proprietorship. If you are a sole proprietorship and you trade up to an LLC, the good news is you do not have to start another set of books like you would if you've changed from an LLC into a corporation. LLCs, however, are not recognized in all states as a separate entity. So if you are in the trucking industry and you travel across several states routinely, if an accident happens in a given state, it could happen in a state that doesn't recognize an LLC as an entity Hence, you would not be insured against any cost to your vehicle or someone else's, even if you have insurance. Most states that do recognize an LLC as a separate entity will charge filing fees once a year and an initial publishing fee to make you an official limited liability company. Since you aren't an employee of your own company and you would not be eligible for a 401k, you can invest money into an IRA or an IRA SEP, and you can do that with sole proprietorships as well, which is kind of almost like a 401k for self-employed people. Multi-member LLCs, also known as partnerships, If you have one owner of an LLC and you either have one outside investor or multi-investors, then it's considered a partnership LLC or what we call in the tax world a multi-member LLC. Multi-member LLCs are treated as a partnership. So March 15 is your tax deadline. Single-member LLCs and sole proprietorships are treated as a kind of an add-on to your personal tax return, hence April 15 is your tax deadline. With a multi-member LLC, each person or entity that's contributing money to the LLC has to have an equity account for incoming money, which we call equity capital, and an equity account for outgoing money called distributions you and your other members must track how much money is invested and how much money is being distributed to each member within the equity section of the books. Owners or members of a multi-member LLC can't be on payroll like an employee, the same as a sole proprietorship, but if either or both of the members actually work at the company, they can be compensated, by getting what we call guaranteed payments, which would be a company expense that would lower the profit of the company. The guaranteed payments would be in lieu of a payroll, and they would end up uh, at the end of the year being included in the K-1 form that all the members of a multi-member LLC receive, and that becomes part of the taxable income on your personal tax return. The IRS doesn't recognize LLCs, multi-member or not, as a totally separate entity for taxes, so the profit of the multi-member LLC rolls over to the members as personal income, and that's what a K-1 form is for. If guaranteed payments aren't done, then distributions going through the equity account can be done, and they end up on the K-1 as personal income as well. Needless to say, the communication between the person who runs the LLC and the bookkeeper and the accountant is very important since it's much more complicated than a single-member LLC or a sole proprietorship. Multi-member LLCs use a 1065 form. Just a short word on limited liability partnerships. These are called LLPs, and that's that happens when you have two or more actual owners of the LLC, not just members. So attorneys and doctors might have LLP entities, might be 50-50 partnerships, which I would not suggest. I would suggest at least if there's two partners you should be 51 and 49 so that one person has that that one extra percent that person can be the final say uh if something if a policy needs to be changed or a decision needs to be made for the company so llps are very similar to multi-member llcs but they are actually do have two or more owners and not only members Let's talk about corporations. An S-corporation's tax return is due on March 15 as a separate tax return than the owner's personal return. It works in a very similar way as a multi-member LLC or an LLP does as the profit of the S-corporation flows through to a K-1 form and then is taxed with the owner's personal tax return due on April 15. The main difference is that if you're an owner or a partner in an S corporation, you are also an employee of your own corporation. You can get a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly paycheck and a W-2 at the end of the year, or you can have payroll done at the end of the calendar year just to show that you've made a salary and that you were on the books as an employee. If you do it that way then throughout the year you can use a distribution account to withdraw money from the corporation and the value that's in the distribution account will then be converted into a payroll uh, at by the end of the year. Now, of course, you can have other people. You can hire other people as employees and pay them accordingly. As an employee of your own company, you can have a 401k, just like any other employee. The IRS says that you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary if your company is making a profit. And with multi-member LLCs, K-1s work the same way with S-corporations. C-corporations are a completely separate entity from someone's personal financial life, unlike S-corporations. With an S corporation, you can take out a home equity loan, for an example, through the corporation and pay it back to the bank through the corporation without actually using the money borrowed for the corporation. But C corps are different. C corps are treated as a totally different entity. They aren't connected to an individual directly in any way. The board of directors makes decisions for the C corp policies and so on, and individual shareholders, if publicly traded on the stock market, can vote on certain things that the board of directors may want to do. It's not that much different bookkeeping-wise between an S-corp and a C-corp, but a C-corporation's tax return can be much more tedious and time-consuming for an accountant or any tax preparer to actually put together and file. Also, think liability. If the company manufactures space heaters, for an example, then you might want to consider a C corporation so that any liability that might occur by a badly manufactured unit or any kind of a lawsuit cannot leak through to you or your board members' personal bank accounts. Everything stays within that C corporation. There's a lot more that we can talk about with C-Corps and S-Corps, but I'll let you continue that conversation with your CPA or tax preparer. One final word, or really a bunch of words. It's an interesting tax system that we have. The tax return is filed and signed by a tax preparer, But if audited, the individual who has paid for the professional to file taxes is liable for any extra taxes that the IRS finds that's wrong with the tax return and any interest and any penalties. At the same time, business owners are not tax professionals. Tax professionals are responsible for fraud at their end. If the tax professional is stealing money uh, through the books or through bank accounts, that's one thing. But a routine audit the tax professional isn't fined for producing an inaccurate or incomplete tax return. The client is. The moral? Think of your bookkeeper and tax preparer as surgeons. If you need surgery and you have a little time to figure it out, I'm sure you'll interview surgeons, get all the information from them such as how many of the specific surgeries uh, that you need have they done, and what is their success rights? Did they graduate in the top 10 of their class? Please do that with your accounting professionals. You will get a cleaner tax return, probably a lower tax liability to the IRS and your state, and you'll also be able to sleep better at night knowing that you have a real honest-to-goodness pro on your side. If you have any stories or any comments about this series in this podcast, please send comments to either bookkeepermensch at gmail.com or numerex, it's N U M E R E X, at numerexonline.com. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks for the next episode. Thanks for listening.